Hi, this is Rich Branson, Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. Welcome to the November 2020 Respiratory Care Editor's Commentary Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This month's Editor's Choice is a retrospective study of high-frequency jet ventilation used as rescue therapy in premature infants with respiratory failure. Wheeler and colleagues described the outcomes of 53 subjects treated with high-frequency jet ventilation over a four-year time frame. They report that an oxygen saturation index greater than 5.5 after four hours of jet ventilation, female sex, and closed ductus arteriosus were independent predictors of mortality. Miller and Bartel provided an accompanying editorial lamenting the lack of large randomized trials of HFJV in infants, as have been done for high-frequency oscillation. Fifty years since the advent of high-frequency ventilation, the activity surrounding high-frequency jet ventilation has often created more noise than light. Ronaldo et al. performed a bench evaluation of inhaled nitric oxide delivery device function and ventilator performance in an infant simulation. The nitric oxide delivery device added a small amount of nitric oxide during gas delivery and removed gas from the circuit at 230 milliliters a minute for gas sampling. The authors report that the sampling system led to errors in tidal volume reported by the ventilator, which might be misleading to clinical staff. Peter Bennett and others opine that respiratory therapists should understand the function of nitric oxide delivery devices, as well as ventilators, and the interplay between the two to assure patient safety. Morris and others describe a quality improvement initiative to reduce unplanned extubations in a neonatal intensive care unit. A primary objective was to reduce endotracheal tube tips positioned below the first thoracic vertebrae on chest radiograph. Combined with an unplanned extubation bundle addressing ET tube securement and assessment, correct endotracheal tube position resulted in a 14% reduction in unplanned extubation. Lauderbauer and Sutherland comment comparing the rate of unplanned extubations to previous trials and the stated patient safety goals. Lou et al. evaluated a single-use flexible bronchoscope using a survey of operators following a procedure. Operators determined that maneuverability between usable and disposable scopes was similar. Disposable scopes have the advantage of reducing cross-contamination, a particular concern as we approach another wave of COVID-19. Anuki and co-workers evaluated the incidence of post-operative pulmonary complications in subjects with an open abdomen following surgical intervention. They found traditional preoperative risk factors for pulmonary complications remain, but that the postoperative fluid balance was the primary driver of complications after surgery. A positive fluid balance of greater than three liters was associated with the postoperative pulmonary complication. Marquis et al. evaluated the impact of positioning on cough peak flow and EMG activation in subjects with Duchenne muscular dystrophy and a group of normal volunteers. They found that the muscular dystrophy subjects demonstrated reduction in cough peak flow, which isn't surprising, with changes with posture as well as the relative contribution of the rib cage and abdominal compartments to tidal volume. However, posture did not impact EMG activation. Mortensen and others conducted a retrospective study using routinely collected clinical data to develop a prognostic model for time to decannulation in subjects following brain injury. The prognostic model for decannulation included age, diagnosis, days from injury and until admission for rehabilitation, swallowing ability, and overall functional level as measured with the early functional ability score. The strongest predictors of decannulation were age and a combination of overall functional abilities and swallowing ability.
Wu et al. described the development of quality assurance and quality control guidelines for respiratory asymmetry studies. They compared the QA-QC audits after an initial training of operators and following development of a checklist and additional training. Following implementation of the checklist, the number of studies considered unacceptable based on a high coefficient of variation was reduced from 5 to less than 1%. They conclude that a standard operating procedure, a training program, a QA-QC checklist, and regular audits improve the quality of studies. Savani and co-workers evaluated long-term oxygen therapy in a group of veterans with COPD and resting hypoxemia. A retrospective audit of Veteran Administration's healthcare facility, including nearly 500 subjects, found that two-thirds of subjects were prescribed continuous flow oxygen for resting hypoxemia, while 10% had nocturnal use prescriptions and 6% received oxygen for exertional dyspnea. In this cohort, 99% of subjects met Medicare criteria for home oxygen therapy. They also reported that reevaluating subjects at a three-month follow-up identified subjects no longer requiring oxygen therapy. Strickland and colleagues report on the results of a survey of 1,400 physicians from six subspecialties regarding the need for a non-physician advanced practice provider to offset physician shortages in pulmonary and critical care. Three-quarters of physicians agreed or strongly agreed that a non-physician advanced practice provider could be important to improve cardiopulmonary care of patients. Most felt the advanced practice provider could improve productivity, improve patient outcomes, and the patient experience. An advanced practice respiratory therapist would meet this need. Pousset et al. performed a cross-sectional prospective survey on 190 subjects with muscular dystrophy on mechanical ventilation and their quality of life. Subjects using non-invasive ventilation reported better sleep quality but more ineffective cough than invasively ventilated subjects. The authors conclude that NIV and invasive mechanical ventilation did not differ the muscular dystrophy subjects' perceptions of their quality of life, apart from the, uh, the insomnia related to caregiving. Gelback and colleagues performed a prospective observational cohort study of mechanically ventilated pediatric subjects over a 12-month period. They evaluated the utility of dead space to tidal volume ratio measures and predicting the need for escalation of care following extubation. In 189 subjects, of whom 166 were successfully extubated, there was no relationship between dead space to tidal volume ratio and extubation success. However, dead space to tidal volume ratio was associated with the level of respiratory support provided after extubation. Wang and others provide a systematic review of high-flow nasal cannula versus conventional oxygen therapy following cardiothoracic surgery. They suggest that high-flow nasal cannula might reduce the need for escalation and respiratory support, as well as the reintubation and possibly reduce intensive care unit length of stay. Bahatari and colleagues provide a systematic review on the barriers to and the strategies for improving medication adherence in subjects with COPD. They conclude that adherence to medications was low, with the majority of studies identifying the presence of depression and concern about adverse effects as barriers to adherence. Mirabella et al. present a narrative review on patient ventilator asynchrony identification and resolution. We've published a number of studies on asynchrony and patient ventilator synchrony, and it underscores the importance of the role of the respiratory therapist in monitoring mechanical ventilation and understanding these changes that result in adverse outcomes for our patients. 
Chiang and others discuss controversies in tracheostomy for subjects with COVID-19. Um, this continues to be a serious problem as the survival rate in the ICU improves and how and when to perform tracheostomy in these infected patients and what to do with them post-tracheostomy becomes an ever-increasing issue, particularly as we transition patients to long-term care. Devo and colleagues also provide a review of the transition from tracheostomy to spontaneous breathing in COVID-19, emphasizing the care and reduction in exposure to caregivers, as well as optimal timing for the care and transition of patients um, to tracheostomy and to long-term care. We appreciate your subscribing to the Respiratory Care Podcast. We hope you all remain safe out there as COVID-19 returns um, here in the fall and look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Thank you.